0: This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Centre for Astrophysics. For more information, see johncast.net. The night sky for March two thousand and eighteen. Well, after dark, that lovely region of the sky surrounding Orion, its three stars pointing down to the left towards Sirius in Canis Major, and up to the right to Taurus and the Hyades and the Pleiades cluster. These are now sinking towards the west. Still quite high, though, are Castor and Pollux in Gemini, the Heavenly Twins. Down to the left of the uppermost of the Twins, their feet, is a rather nice open cluster M35, which you can pick up with binoculars on a dark, clear night. Going higher up still, towards the bright star, yellowish star Capella, there are some other open clusters in the constellation of Auriga. Again, moving over towards the west. Towards the south is a rather faint region which contains the constellation of Cancer, the crab. But again, with binoculars, there is a very nice open cluster, M44, the beehive cluster or pricipae. And that's a worthwhile thing to look at. And then we come over to Leo, the lion, resting on its haunches, I think, like the lions in Trafalgar Square. Its brightest star is Regulus at the lower right-hand corner. Rising over towards the east is a bright star called Arcturus at the bottom of the constellation of Bootes. And over to its right, getting towards overhead, it's actually a very nice time of the year to observe the plough in the constellation of Ursa Major. Uh, there are two nice galaxies that you can see with uh, certainly a small telescope M81 and M82, and they're up to the right of the plough. If you start at the lower left corner of the plough, or the saucepan in the case of when it's called the Big Dipper, move up towards the top right star, which is Dubhe, and carry on by the same amount, you'll actually reach where they're located. So still quite a nice lot of things to observe, just with your eyes and binoculars on a dark, clear night. Well what about the planets? Well for quite a while now all of the planetary observations have been in the morning but at least now this month we have two planets Venus and Mercury which we can actually see after dusk. We'll start with Jupiter. It's now rising just before midnight at the beginning of March and in fact about an hour earlier by a month's end so you can't up late to see it. Initially it has a 39 arc-second disk and it shrines at magnitude minus 2.2. But as the month progresses, its apparent diameter increases to 42.5 arc-seconds and its brightness to magnitude minus 2.4. Jupiter will transit before dawn and so will enable the giant planet to be seen with the equatorial bands, sometimes the great, but I should say reducing in size, red spot and up to the four of the Galilean moons as they weave their way around it. Sadly, Jupiter lying in Libra during the month is heading towards the southern part of the ecliptic, and will only have an elevation of about 20 degrees when crossing the meridian. Atmospheric dispersion will thus hinder our view, and it might be worth considering purchasing the ZWO Atmospheric Dispersion Corrector, which will counteract the atmosphere's effects. It costs somewhat over a hundred pounds. Well, Saturn is now rising around 3 a.m. at the start of the month, and just after 2 a.m. at its end. With an angular size of 16.3 arc seconds, it climbs higher before dawn, and so becomes easier to spot as the month progresses. Its brightness increases from plus 0.6 to plus 0.5 magnitudes. The rings were at their widest towards the end of last year and are still at about 25 to 26 degrees to the line of sight, well open, and that's very nice. Saturn is now lying in Sagittarius, just three degrees above the topmost star of the teapot. Sadly, even when at opposition later in the year, it will only reach an elevation of just over 15 degrees above the horizon when crossing the meridian. Again, an atmospheric dispersion corrector could be very useful. Mercury. Mercury gives us its best evening apparition this month when it reaches its peak height above the western horizon on the 15th, when, at greatest elongation, it lies some 18 degrees east of the sun. However, at this time, its magnitude has dropped from minus 1.3 at the beginning of March to minus 0.4 magnitudes. Its magnitudes continue to fall, dropping to plus 0.9 by the 20th, and soon after will be lost in the sun's glare. As described in the highlights, Mercury flirts with Venus during the month. Mars. Well, Mars starts the month moving quickly eastwards in Ophiuchus, moving into Sagittarius on the 12th, as it moves towards the planet Saturn. It's a morning object rising at about 2am at the start of the month. It has a magnitude which increases during the month from plus 0.8 to plus 0.3 magnitudes and an angular size of just 7 initially increasing to about 8.5 arc seconds. It'll be pretty hard to spot details on its salmon pink surface but maybe imaging with a little webcam doing what's called lucky imaging one might start picking up some of the major features. It will only reach an elevation of 14 degrees before dawn at the start of the month, and just 12 degrees by month's end. Venus is seen low in the west after sunset, shining at magnitude minus 3.9, has an angular size of about 10.3 arc seconds. Venus rises a little higher in the sky as March progresses, initially setting around one hour after the sun, but increasing to an hour and a half by month's end. It has two near conjunctions with Mercury, as described in the highlights we're going to read now. So what are the highlights of the month? Well, nothing too exciting. But on March 2nd to March 4th, after sunset, Venus and Mercury are within 1.3 degrees of each other. So given a clear sky and you need a low western horizon, you should be able to spot them. Their closest is on the 3rd, when they are just 1.1 degrees apart. Now you might well need binoculars to penetrate the sky's residual brightness, but please do not use them until after the sun has set. On March the 10th, 11th, before dawn, we can see Saturn, Mars and a waning crescent moon, lying to the upper left of Mars on the 10th and the upper left of Saturn on the 11th on march the 19th after sunset you can spot venus mercury and if you're lucky a very thin crescent moon looking west after sunset on the 19th and given a very low western horizon one might be able to spot venus near mercury which is close to maximum elongation from the sun a very thin crescent moon just 2 days after new will be seen to the upper left again binoculars may well be needed but please do not use them before the sun has set and that's a pretty tough observing challenge I think. In the evening of March the 23rd the moon coming towards first quarter will lie within the Hyades cluster. After it's set from the UK sadly it will occult Aldebaran which as I'm sure you know is a red giant star lying between our solar system and and the cluster. And finally a nice object on the moon's surface, the Alpine Valley, best seen on the nights of March the 8th and the 24th when the Terminator is close. So they're two good nights to observe an interesting feature on the moon if you have a small telescope. Close to the limb is the Apennine mountain chain that marks the edge of Mare Imbrium. Towards the upper end you can see the cleft across them, which is called the Alpine Valley. It is about seven miles wide and 79 miles long. The dark crater Plato is visible nearby. You may also see the shadow cast by the mountain Mont Piton, lying not far away in Mare Imbrium. This is a very interesting region of the Moon. Well, I hope you get some enjoyable and clear nights during March. Thanks for that, Ian. And now
1: for our Antipodean listeners, we welcome Jasmine Chan-Hyams and Gabby Perez from Carter Observatory with the night sky where you are. Hi, this is Jasmine and Gabriella coming to you from Wellington, Aotearoa, here to talk to you about the southern night skies in the month of March.
2: Hi there, Gabriella here from Wellington, New Zealand. I work at Space Place at the Carter Observatory as a telescope operator. Um, I've been staring at the southern skies for most of my life, and as a child I saw a fully mapped out globe, and I realised that there was not much more to explore or find here on Earth, so I became fascinated with space. And ever since, I've wanted to explore the universe and beyond. And now I bring the universe to me, mostly through collecting its light with either my eyes, a pair of binoculars, or a telescope.
1: And I'm Jasmine. I'm a PhD biotech student at Victoria University of Wellington. But who I am is a scientist, a stargazer, and a storyteller. We are wishing a fond farewell to Dr. Claire Bretherton, who has contributed so much to this podcast over the years. Thank you for teaching me about treasuring that moment of awe when you share a wonder of the universe with someone who has never seen anything like it before. You will be sorely missed at Space Place, and we wish you all the very best in your new job. Looking up into the night skies is one of the true delights of living in the Southern Hemisphere, especially here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, where it is easy to get away from the bright city lights, and where we get a broader and brighter view of the Milky Way. Early in the month of March we can look forward to gazing upon many star-studded Greek heroes and mythical creatures. We can use these constellations as guideposts to find deep-sky objects, including beautiful nebulae and special features of our southern skies. Our journey begins with the Greek constellation Orion, who appears in the skies after full dark in the north-northwest for the month of March. For many of us, finding the three bright stars that form Orion's belt were probably the first thing you could proudly identify as a child. These three stars are second-magnitude stars, You can also see, with the naked eye, Betelgeuse, located in Orion's armpit, a red supergiant hundreds of times larger than our sun. Yet the brightest star of this constellation is Rigel, a blue star at Orion's ankle. Blue stars are the hottest kind of stars you'll find in the night skies, while red stars are cooling down, burning out the last of their heat energy and expanding. Just below his belt, you'll find the Orion Emission Nebula, M42, a huge star-forming cloud. More than two widths of our moon across, it lies about 1500 light-years away. With the naked eye, it appears as a diffused cloudy patch, but through a telescope you can see the clouds of dust and gas, uh, lit up by the baby stars they are forming. From Orion's belt, it's just a star jump to the right and up to find Sirius, the brightest star in our skies. Sirius is seriously bright, at about 20 times brighter than our sun, and only 8.6 light-years away. Sirius is part of the Canis Major constellation, one of the two dog companions that accompany the hunter Orion. Below Canis Major, you can look for the two stars that form Canis Minor. The star Procyon in Canis Minor forms a triangle with the first magnitude stars Sirius and Betelgeuse. And this is what we call the Southern Triangle. And within the Southern Triangle, you can look for Monoceros, the unicorn constellation, home to the gorgeous Rosette Nebula. This nebula has a beautiful carnation pink colouring and can be seen with binoculars in the part of the constellation closest to Betelgeuse. Neighboring Orion is the zodiac constellation Taurus the bull. Taurus and his fiery red eye, the red giant Aldebaran, can be found low in our northwestern sky, after sunset, where we can easily make out the V-shape of his horns. Near his shoulder lies the Pleiades star cluster. On a clear dark night you can see seven points of light with the naked eye, but it's best viewed with a pair of binoculars. The Pleiades is a young cluster of mostly hot blue stars, the big ones that burn up all their fuel quickly. They live fast and die young. These bright blue stars are said to be seven beautiful sisters, and you can find the seven sisters sheltering in the shoulder of the bull, hiding from Orion's rather amorous intentions. After you get an eyeful of these blue beauties, you can jump on down to the Crab Nebula, M1, but you'll want a telescope for this part. M1 was the first Messier object recorded by famous French astronomer Charles Messier in 1771. To find M1 with your telescope, look for Aldebaran first, then follow the bull's horn all the way to its end, and you'll find the Crab Nebula close to the horizon. Large apertures are needed to make out the filamentous detail. The Crab Nebula was first viewed more than a thousand years ago by ancient Chinese astronomers who recorded a bright light forming in this area of the skies. What they witnessed was a supernova, a dying star. At the heart of the Crab Nebula is the pulsar, the skeleton of the dying star. Although we cannot see the pulsar with an ordinary telescope, we can listen to the radio waves it emits as it spins. We can listen to the song of the supernova. Now you can enjoy looking for Orion, his hunting dogs, Taurus the bull, and the unicorn Monoceros throughout the early evenings of March. But for now, I'll hand over to Gabriella, who will tell us all about what planets we can find this month and features of the skies to the south.
2: So in March, if you're looking for the planets, you'll need to stay up late. Venus sets shortly after the sun, but becomes increasingly visible in our twilight skies towards the end of the month. Jupiter rises in the late evening at about midnight in mid-March. This gas giant reflects the light of our sun and will outshine Sirius, becoming the brightest object in the night sky after the moon. For those early rises, Mars and Saturn are on the eastern horizon just before dawn. Around the 7th of March, the planets will align up quite nicely on either side of the waxing gibbous moon. And on the 21st of March, we can observe the autumn equinox, which will give us equal day and night. Now if you turn over to the southern horizon, we'll look for our iconic Southern Cross constellation, Crux. The Crux will be low in our southeastern skies in early March after sunset. We can use the pointer stars, the reddy-orange Alpha Centauri, and the bluey-white Beta Centauri to identify the true Southern Cross. There's a lot of things in the sky that could make a cross shape. So as the night progresses, the Southern Cross will journey around the south celestial pole center as the Earth spins bringing with it um, the dark patches that stretch out across our beautiful view of the Milky Way. Um, These patches represent the giant moa, now an extinct large flightless bird native to New Zealand. Um, These dark patches obstruct the light from faraway stars from reaching us here on Earth, and signify um, massive interstellar objects called dark nebulas. And... These dark nebulas can be seen quite easily in the backdrop of the Milky Way, as the large concentrations of starlight surrounding them helps us see them better. The head of the Moa sits by the Crux constellation, nearby the star Beta Crixus and um, the Jewelbox Cluster. This dark nebula is usually known as the Coalsack Nebula, this densely packed molecular cloud now much like coal itself it could ignite one day as it becomes an active stellar nursery shining up as one of the brightest sections in our night sky now following the moa's ascent scorpius also rises in the east in maori star we know this as the legendary fish hook of maui te mata maui and then where the milky way bulges near to Scorpius in a zone we know as Sagittarius A, which is the galactic center. We have the brightest view of our own galaxy. And from the galactic center, we received all the intense radio feedback suggesting the supermassive black hole at the center of our Milky Way. Now, using the Southern Cross, we can find Canopus, the second brightest true star in our sky. It is part of the Carina constellation, the keel of the Argonavis. Uh The ship used to dominate the night sky as the largest constellation. Um, In March, it's located just above the crux. In the center of this constellation is the Great Carina Nebula, which uh, houses the giant red dying star Ada Carina. Ada Carina actually used to um, outshine Canopus for a brief while when it went through an event known as an imposter supernova. Um, This hardy star is now encased in the Homunculus Nebula and has faded, and we can only really see it through a telescope now. Uh, the globular cluster, 47 Tukane, will also be high in the sky and faintly spotted to the naked eye by the 10th brightest star in the night sky, the pancake star Achernar. I say pancake because it's spinning around so fast it's flattened itself out a little bit. Um, globular clusters are fascinating things. Their structures allow us to witness stellar interactions, but also it allows us to pinpoint the smallest and faintest stars – the large bright stars kind of push themselves to the core and the outer stars are um, fainter and they are unique in this beautifully ordered structure and this is how uh, we first observe some of the white dwarfs. We can also look for two of our neighbouring galaxies, the Magellanic Clouds. You can see them without the aid of a telescope or even a pair of binoculars, but you need to get away from the city lights and on a nice dark moonless night, they come up quite clearly these are two small, irregular dwarf galaxies that orbit around our Milky Way. The gravitational pull of our Milky Way galaxy warps and distorts them, pulling away clouds of dust and gas and even stars to form the Magellanic Stream. The small Magellanic Cloud and large Magellanic Cloud are actually connected by a bridge of neutral helium, suggesting that they were once the same object. Now, the Magellanic Clouds, especially the small Magellanic Clouds, are some of the first away objects that we can just see, from here in our backyards in the Southern Hemisphere. So that's it from us for the month of March. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in April.
1: And we wish you all very happy stargazing.